Hi, and welcome back to Spatulas and Speculations. I am your unofficial Professor Lily, and this is the unofficial SJM 101. Today is a magical episode because I, me, your unofficial professor, a happy hermit, hand up in the air, on the books, I swear, I am doing an episode that I said I would do. Literally in the first episode, I said that we will be doing this and then never did it, but we're doing it today. Today is a character deep dive, and these episodes will be far and few between because when I tell you the amount of work that I did for this episode, astronomical, probably seconded to the realms episode. Like, that is how much work went into this. It was just days and days and days, hours upon hours, notes upon notes. I skim read the entire series. I looked at every single time Elaine's name was mentioned and I noted down everything about her because today's episode is a character deep dive and literary analysis, thought process, and theory on Elaine Archeron. Everything that we know about her, everything that is said about her, I now know. I now have notes on and I have condensed them and finalized them for you here today. This road to this episode was fraught with chaos. And I, when I say chaos, I mean I was in my most pure form of insanity. There is like notes in notes in notes. So it started with one set of notes and then it moved to a second set of notes and then it moved to a third set of notes and then it was finalized in a fourth set of notes because everything just kind of like moved down the line to create this episode. I looked at information in bonus chapters. I looked at information from what Sarah has said in interviews. I looked at all of the information that we have on her in all different lights. We're going to go through what she looks like, what her likeness is, her foreshadowing, questions we have around her, theories, her personality, the way people see her. What else? Oh, the way Sarah perceives her. And we're going to break it all down. We're going to talk about everything. We're going to talk about the name Elaine first and the myths that she's tied to. When I say this will be a character deep dive, I mean we are going to dig so deep into the character of Elaine that will be coming out the other side. Like, we're going to travel so far deep through Elaine that we'll probably end up on Midgard or on Aurelia. Like, that's how deep we're going to be going with this character. But before we go any further... I'd like to throw out my, my warnings. Number one, I will be talking about Akatar only for the most part. We're going to mention how there are seers in other universes, and then there will be one Hosab spoiler theory, but I'll be sure to let you guys know when I do that so you can just like hit the skip button until I'm done talking about it if you have not read Hosab. Just in case we have a new listener on here and you haven't watched or listened to all of this or heard my spoiler warnings before. Number two, I do not speak for Sarah or Bloomsbury. These are my thoughts. These are my notes. I may miss things. I am human. I mean, if I've missed something, I'll be damned surprised. When I say my eyes basically bled at the amount of rereading and reading and looking that I've done in the last like three weeks, astronomical, astronomical. I may misinterpret things, and that is human. That is human nature. Number three is I do pronounce things wrong. There is, <laughs> there is a Welsh name that I'll be mentioning very soon. Uh, I, looking at it again, I literally don't even think I'm going to pronounce it because 
I will make an absolute fool of myself. But I do pronounce things wrong. This is my accent. I do apologize for it if it bothers you. And the next thing I want to talk about is, while I did note things, and there, there is one thing I'm going to point out possibly at the end, like I had to uh, talked a lot about in um, last week's episode with Gwen, I don't talk about ships. This is my personal boundary. This is something that I just want to not do on this podcast. So, there are a few things that I will not be touching on that I did take note of. And they're just things about ships or about the way that Azriel and Elaine are and how Elaine and Lucian are, how Elaine and Tamlin are, and things like that that I did note, I do see, will not talk on. And it's just my, it's like my one boundary in this fandom. I will not talk about ships, and I know that it's kind of, like, frustrating to a lot of people, especially because we're doing a character deep dive, and, you know, we're gonna deep dive so deep, but I guess technically we won't deep dive the deepest, or I did deep dive the deepest on my own, but together we will not deep dive the deepest, but I feel like (laughs) with ships, you can come to your own conclusion. You don't really need me to handhold you through certain information. I will be pointing out two things that I won't... mm, One thing I won't tie back to a ship. The other thing does tie to a ship, but it's a ship that... It's Elaine and Lucian. There's one thing about Elaine and Lucian I'm going to just throw in there for your own thought-provoking thoughts while you're in the shower, when you're driving, when you're sleeping, however, whatever time you think about your SJM thoughts. I just want to kind of slide this in and just kind of point out something. Actually, it's going to be a few somethings, I think. I think it's going to be a few somethings. Then there's one thing with Azriel that I just kind of want to clear up that I see a lot of people using as like a... Maybe I won't. Maybe I won't. Ah, we'll see how I feel when it comes up, if I want to bring it up, how I'm feeling at the time. So that's the one thing I won't be talking about. That's my, my disclaimer. We don't talk about ships in this classroom. I find that it's divide things. We're going to move on. You know the spiel. Whatever. So let's talk about Elaine. The name Elaine is technically a Welsh name, and it's Welsh for fawn or young deer. In Greek, it stands for shining light, bright one, or simply the word light. In the biblical sense, it stands for my God has answered me. I find that term, my God has answered me, to be very important, and you'll see why in a few minutes, in a while, when we talk about Farah and the cauldron, that I want to, I'm going to bring that back up. So I just want you to take a special note. My God has answered me is the name for Elaine. Also, fawn and young deer. Very important. Also, the bright shining one. Also very important. All three of these, I think, really do tie back to Elaine. And you'll see when we talk about her likeness, why that is. Elaine's name also ties back to Arthurian legend. It also ties into a Welsh myth about an an owl shifter. Her name, I will not, I blow de wet, something around those lines. I have it like typed out how to pronounce it and looking back at it now, I'm like, I, I can't pronounce this. But it's a myth that ties back to the myth of Gwydion, who is not a sword, but a man or a magician. So Elaine does tie back to Arthurian legend, as we said last week, or as I, 
as I had said last week, anytime that I see Arthurian legend, I kind of perk up a little bit and take note of. But I'm not going to go into really deep onto what these legends of these people are because Sarah has never done a word-for-word -word retelling. They're usually just echoes of these myths, of these legends. So I just want to point out that she does tie to myths. If you're interested into that, there you go. There's your little stepping stone on where you can go to look for it. But I want to get into the canon stuff we have on Elaine. So I want to move into how does Elaine look? Because like I said, this is going to be a complete deep dive. We're going to start surface level and then we're going to get dive all the way deep, 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 deep until theory. we hit theory. And then by the time we hit theory, we're going to be back out the other side into the SJM universe, basically. So I think the best way to see Elaine is best seen here in Akamath 23. Elaine's golden brown hair was half up, her pale skin creamy and flushed with color, and her eyes, like molten chocolate, were wide as they took me in. Then later, in Akamath 65, when she comes out of the cauldron, she is described like this. Alive. She had to be alive. Had to have wanted to live. Elaine sucked in a breath, her fine-boned back rising, her wet nightgown nearly sheer, and as she rose from the ground onto her elbows, the gag in place, as she twisted to look at me, Nesta began roaring again. Pale skin started to glow. Her face had somehow become more beautiful, infinitely beautiful, and her ears... Elaine's ears were now pointed beneath her sodden hair. Later, it says this in Akasif 17, Elaine stood at the wall of windows clad in a lilac gown, whose close-fitting bodice had shown how well her sister had filled out since those initial days in the night court. Gone were the sharp angles, replaced by softness and elegant curves. Nesta knew herself had looked like that at one point, even if Elaine's breasts had always been smaller. I love how Nesta points that out. And then later, Nesta says, Nesta met her sister's warm brown eyes. When human, Elaine had easily been the prettiest of the three of them, and when she had been turned high fay, that beauty had been amplified. Nesta couldn't put her finger on what changes had thwart beyond the pointed ears, but Elaine had gone from lovely to devastatingly beautiful. And Elaine never seemed to realize it. Now, I want to also point out that there is always a glow associated with Elaine, and it makes me think of the High Lord's glow that they keep glamoured always. We see it best in oh, Akatar when they're in... When Tamlin and Farah are in one of the fields, one of the meadows, and Tamlin, like, drops all the glamour for Farah and she hears the singing in the wind and the soft like she sees color for the first time in her life and then Tamlin and his beautiful glow he's just too much to take in and we also learn that all the high lords do this they have this like etherealness to them that they dampen for the most part and in Akama 55 I do believe don't hold me straight to this, but I'm like 99.9% .9 sure that Reese and I think even Farah let down these glamour guards that they have and are in their most innate form when they solidify their mating bond. So Reese's beauty is heightened um, at that time. And I just like, like Elaine is glowing 
constantly. I, I don't have it like right in here. I do have it in her likeness. You'll see it in a second. Um, but she's just like her eyes glow, her skin glows. There's just her hair glows. Like everything about her is always just subtly glowing. And the only time I could really find that another character glows is more glows sometimes. And Farah, she glows when she's pregnant a little bit. The Nesta notices that she has this like glow about her, a pregnancy glow, which, you know, is something that's said about most pregnant women. They have this like glow about them. But Elaine has this near constantly and she's not pregnant. No, that not theory. Okay. But the, from canon evidence that we have, Elaine is not perpetually pregnant. <laughs> Okay, guys, I know the theory. I know I uh, immediately, as I had said it, they like, my brain was like, oh, Lillian. Anyways, let's talk about Elaine's likeness. And the reason why I find likeness to be so incredibly important in the SJM universe is because Sarah uses likeness as foreshadowing. So as you go through all of her books and your reread, I feel I want you to take special note to the way that characters are described to be likened as because it typically shows where their character will head towards the future. I've said it before, I'll say it again every single time it's mentioned because I just want to hammer this little tiny thing into you because if you really want to understand a character or understand the SGM universe, look at the way that Sarah describes people and things because that's how she foreshadows very beautifully, I might add. I think this is one of the best foreshadowing devices that you can have as a writer. But an example, we see that so often Aelin is described as like hot as a flame or her anger is hot as a flame or just like she, she tastes like ashes. Like there's just, or she, her mouth tastes like ashes when she says stuff. Like there's so much like fire imagery that's just ingrained in Selena's character throughout Throne of Glass and Crown of Midnight and in Assassin's Blade so that when we find out her power in Crown of Midnight, it's like all these little moments have just like led up to this one thing. Dorian, he's always described as like cold and like there's a coldness about him and then later we find out that his magic lends towards coldness. Like it's just things like that that just show the future of a character going on and on and on. So that's what, this is why likeness is very important to me. So Elaine gets described as a few things doe or a fawn, a sun at dawn, a summer dawn, a setting sun, a rose bloom, and a void. Yes, void. That word is my trigger word, one of my trigger words. In Akamath 23, it says, then Elaine's face appeared over Miss Lawrence, round shoulder, beautiful. She had always been the most beautiful of us, soft and lovely like a summer's dawn. Then later in that chapter, it says, she strode out as graceful as a doe. In Akama 57, it says, Elaine swallowed a doe caught in a snare. In Akawar, she's described as a void three times in particular. Three is a trigger number for me. Void is a trigger for me because of the Princess of Hell's father, the void. The void in Akafas 15, the tapestry. Like that thing, it, it's, void is just one of those things. And for Elaine to have been likened to it three times just like makes my skin crawl with like fury. 
in Akawar 51, it says that she is a rose bloom in a mud field. In Akawar 52, it says Elaine went still as a doe. In Akawar 57, it says her eyes shifted beneath her lids, the skin so delicate and colorless that the blue veins beneath were like small streams. And I, I put this in, I should have put this in at the end, but I, I put this in because the blue veins beneath were like a small stream. I kind of find that Elaine tends towards to be likened like the earth, grower, life, and for her body to represent parts of the earth really sticks. I don't know if that came out right, if you're going to follow that train of thought, but it kind of sticks out to me in that way. In Akawar 69, it says, a lovely fawn, blooming spring, vibrant behind her. In Akafas 17, it says, even in the middle of winter, she was a bloom of color and sunshine. In Akafas 18, it says, she has doe brown eyes, doe as in D-O-E, like a deer. In Akafas 17, it says, her sister turned towards her, glowing in health. Health, Elaine's smile was as bright as the setting sun beyond the windows. And then in the bonus chapter with Azriel of Akasif, it says, The fey lights gilded Elaine's unbound hair, making her glow like the sun at dawn. So, if we're saying that likeness is foreshadowing, I want you to keep those in mind for when we talk about her foreshadowing at the end and my theories around her. So I, I probably should have put those at the end, but I didn't really, I wanted to go from one level to the next to the next all the way deeper. And I felt like maybe I should have put them in at the end, but I didn't. So whatever, but you'll have it in your mind for when we get there. It'll be fresh in your head. So here's where I'm going to get a little bit spicy and a little bit frustrated with Sarah. We're going to talk about her personality. And there's so much to talk about here because she really does have a big personality, but it gets stifled, not just by the fandom, but by the characters in the book as well. And it's incredibly infuriating and a little bit disgusting the way that everybody, except for two characters, view Elaine. So... I have so much on her personality, but again, I condensed this information to highlighting points, and so it's not just, you know, me reading from the books every single time Elaine is mentioned, because we'll be here for 20s plus hours. But Elaine's personality is described as a peacekeeper. She is sweet, kind. She is hopeful in the face of uncertainty. She is the grower, enjoys the hardship in her labor, and is gift giver supreme. I think the best way to describe Elaine is seen in Akatar 29 when Farah says, she had come alive here. Her joy was infectious. There wasn't a server or a gardener who didn't smile at her. And even the brisk head cook found excuses to bring her plates of cookies and tarts at various points in the day. I marveled at it, actually, that the years spent in poverty hadn't stripped away that light from Elaine, perhaps buried it a bit, but she was generous, loving, and kind, a woman I had found myself proud to know and to call sister. And then later in this chapter, when Farah is back at the cottage, she says, I gazed again at the sad dark house, the place that had been a prison. Elaine had said she missed it, and I wondered what she saw when she looked at the cottage, if she beheld not a prison, but a shelter, a shelter from the world that had possessed so little good. But she tried to find it anyways. Even if it had seemed foolish and useless to me, she had looked at the cottage with hope, 
I had looked at it with nothing but hatred, and I knew which of us had been the stronger. So I find that to be just one of the best characterizations of Elaine, that there's just so much strength in her, so much kindness, and so much love. And she gives it to almost everybody. And the people she doesn't give it to, she lets it out. And and then I think another time that we see Elaine's personality the best is in Aquawar 15. And it says, Elaine has always been gentle and sweet. I had considered it a different sort of strength, a better strength, to look at the hardness of the world and choose over and over to love, to be kind. She had always been so full of light. <sighs> I find my issue, this is going to be my soapbox speech time, and I I'm going to I'm gonna ask some questions to Sarah, even though Sarah doesn't listen, so you guys have to hear my questions to Sarah, but I find that 75, 70, 80% of the time, I get really infuriated with the way that both the fandom and these characters view Elaine, because we only see Elaine through the eyes of others, and I think that out of everybody, Amran and possibly Reese are the only ones to truly see her. And I say see her in parentheses. But we'll get to the way that Amran and Reese see her in a moment. But on top of this, we never get to see Elaine and her real reactions and feelings to things because she is constantly overshadowed by Nesta and her loud, big reactions to the things happening to Elaine. And I don't know if it's just a poor execution on SJM's part, but I find it this incredibly frustrating and infuriating that everything about Elaine gets trampled on by Nesta. And I'm honestly glad that they aren't close anymore because I feel like Elaine has made herself small for Nesta. And I'll point it out in a few moments, but everything that happens to Elaine from the time that she finds out that she's Lucian's mate. We don't even get to see Elaine take in the reaction because Nesta starts shouting and all the focus gets pulled to Nesta. Everything that happens to Elaine, the focus immediately shifts to the way that Nesta reacts to things happening to Elaine. And I was reading this and I was getting literally so angry. I had to put the books down and I had to like take a step back and be like, these are fictional characters, Lillian. But uh, literally, it's so infuriating. In Akatar 2, literally chapter 2 of Akatar, when Tamlin breaks into the cottage, Elaine tries to speak up, defend Farah, but Nesta literally shuts her up. She literally shushes her. So every time that Elaine makes these moments of like stepping up, Nesta's pushing her back down. And I know that Nesta does this, you know, out of love, out of protection. But as you'll see when I talk about the way that their mother viewed Elaine, I almost... <sighs> Nesta really took what the mother said, their mother said about Elaine and like held that straight to her heart and never got to see her through her own lens and through Elaine's own actions. Because Elaine is incredibly feisty. She stands up for the good. She does everything that she can. She takes responsibility for the way that they treated Farah or the way that Farah went out into the woods for them. 
like over and over again she's constantly like trying to be better and do good and like it always gets overshadowed by the way that Nesta is reacting to things and they say that she doesn't grasp things when in actuality she is very pragmatic and incredibly bold so let's get into it a little bit in Akasif 17 Nesta says it had always been that way between them, Elaine sweet and oblivious, and Nesta, the snarling wolf at her side, poised to shred anyone who threatened her. And then in Akasif 32, Nesta says to, about Elaine again, Elaine was like a dog, loyal to whatever master kept her fed and in comfort. And it's so infuriating because throughout the books, she has shown to be so feisty. She stands up to Nesta to help Farah when she asks to use their home and also takes responsibility for how Farah was treated. She says to Nesta, Farah has done so much for us. We need to do this for her. And then later when they're, I think it's at the dinner table in the scene, Elaine steps up and she says, I know that we should have done more. Like, she takes response, like, she acknowledges the fact that they should have done more, and she's trying to do better by Farah, and she does. That night, after they have that uncomfortable dinner, Nesta's like, oh, I'm gonna assume you want to stay here tonight, and then Farah's like, I guess, and Elaine genuinely smiles. She's excited that Farah's and the boys are gonna stay there. Like, she throws out a line constantly but it's just like I said it just gets overshadowed all the time by the way that Nestor reacts and so I'm kind of glad I was I was talking to my friends about how I was kind of upset that Nesta like gets these new friends and then she doesn't like have anything to do with Elaine ever again and now I see why Sarah did it it's because like she needed to separate Nesta and Elaine for them both to I think for Nesta to heal, she needed to step away from whatever self-proposed guardianship she had put over Elaine, and she needed to find out who she was on her own as her own person. So I did a lot of Nesta healing (laughs) throughout this, and then I realize now that Elaine makes herself so small, and in an example of that, the reason I keep saying that is because the only person who ever credits Elaine for killing Highburn is Reese. Everybody else, Elaine included, gives off that honor to Nesta. And I think Elaine does that because she knows how much it meant to Nesta to make her death promise and to fulfill it. And she didn't want to take that away from her. So like I said, I think Reese is one of the only people who truly see Elaine for who she is and how she is. Because Elaine is, is feisty. In Akamath 40, she says, they say, it was Elaine, Elaine, who sighed and murmured, I hope they all burn in hell on the human queens. And then in Akamath 65, my sisters were shrieking over their gags, but Elaine's cry, a warning, a warning to, to my right, now exposed, Tamlin ran for me and grabbed me at last, showing that in this moment when Elaine was bound, gagged, and being dragged towards the cauldron, she was trying to warn Farah. She was keeping an eye on Farah and trying to help her. Ah! 
And then in Akasif 44, Cassian says, Nesta was wrong, Cassian realized, to think that Elaine was as loyal and as loving as a dog. Elaine saw every single thing Nesta had done and understood why. So all these times they're saying Elaine is just oblivious, Elaine is just a dopey blonde, like, she's quiet, she's kind, but she's seeing everything. She's noticing everything. And I think that's kind of why she's a seer, because she sees everything. <laughs> I know that's kind of dumb thing to like come to the like light bulb moment to be like oh that's why she's a seer is because she sees everything but like really that's why the cauldron made her a seer is because she already was seeing everything and now it was just giving her tools to see even more <sighs> but Reese and Farah in the bonus scene of Akafas they say this have you ever seen Elaine act like that before this is the scene the bonus chapter, the face and bonus chapter, the Barnes and Nobles edition of Court of Silver Flames, takes place right after they tell everyone that they're pregnant. So Elaine has stood up for herself, and then she kind of, her and Nesta get into it a little bit, and then she leaves. But after everybody leaves, and it's just Rhysand and Farah alone, Reese says, Have you ever seen Elaine act like that before? No, I chewed my bottom lip. Reese's gaze tracked the movement. I mean, she's been brave when she had to be, but she's never been confrontational. Maybe she was never given the chance to be that way? I whipped my head up towards him. You think I stifle her? Reese held up his hands. Not you alone, he surveyed the study as he thought, but I wonder if everyone has spent so long assuming Elaine is sweet and innocent that she felt she had to be that way or else she'd disappoint you all. Me and Reese, right on the same page. Love that. Anyways, back on. He sighed towards the ceiling. With time and safety, perhaps we'll see a different side of her emerge. That sounds dangerously close to what Nesta said about Elaine finally becoming interesting. Sometimes Nesta isn't wrong. I glowered at Reese. You think Elaine is boring? I think she's kind, and I'll take kindness over nastiness any day. But I think the very best version of the true Elaine is in her own words, in the moment that they were talking about in Akasif 21, when Elaine says, Why? Elaine demanded. Shall I tend to my little gardens forever? When Nesta flinched, Elaine said, You can't have it both ways. You cannot resent my decision to lead a small, quiet life while also refusing to let me do anything greater. Then go off on adventures, Nesta said. Go drink and fuck strangers, but stay away from the cauldron. Farah said, It's Elaine's choice, Nesta. Nesta whirled towards her, ignoring the warning flicker of the primal wrath in Reese's stare. Keep out of this, she hissed at her younger sister. I have no doubt you put these thoughts into her head, probably encouraging her to throw herself into harm's way. Elaine cut in sharply. I am not a child to be fought over. Nesta's pulse pounded throughout her body. Do you not remember the war, what we encountered? Do you not remember the cauldron kidnapping you, bringing you to the heart of Highburn's camp? I do, Elaine said coldly. And I remember Farah rescuing me. Roaring erupted in Nesta's head. For a heartbeat, it appeared that Elaine might say something to soften the words, but Nesta cut her off, seething at the pity that had been thrown her way. Look who decided to grow claws after all, she crooned. Maybe you'll become interesting at last, Elaine. Nesta saw the blow land like a physical impact in Elaine's face, her posture. No one spoke, though shadows gathered in the corner of the room like snakes preparing to strike. 
Elaine's eyes brightened with pain, and something imploded in Nesta's chest at that expression. She opened her mouth, as if it could somehow be undone. But Elaine said, I went into the cauldron too, you know, and it captured me. And yet somehow all you think about is what my trauma did to you. Nesta blinked, everything inside of her hollowing out. But Elaine turned on her heel. Find me when you wish to begin. Oh, frickin' love, Elaine! Frickin' love, Elaine! Like, I just... I can't get over her. The way that she had offered to help to find the trove. She was ready to do it. Willing to do it. Not out of... I don't think out of anything other than she wanted to. Elaine doesn't really seem like the kind of person who... She wouldn't be pushed to do anything. I don't think anyone, none of the inner circle, her sisters don't really seem like the types, as we've seen before, they like to coddle her. So I don't think Elaine was pushed to do it in any way. I think Elaine was like, I can do this. I want to help. I want to do something. I want to test myself. And then Nesta is Nesta. And, you know, she's in her very most wounded state at this time. So I won't hold anything against Nesta in in this scene, even though this scene is incredibly hard for me to read, because I just, like, hurt so badly for both of them, really, but for Elaine especially, because she's just, as, I mean, as Reese said, like, she's constantly stifled, and anytime she tries to be more, she gets shut down, and that's so hurtful. Like, you can hear a little bit of the emotion in my voice, because I relate to Elaine in so many ways, She's my favorite one of the Archeron sisters. I think that there's just something to admire about Elaine, and we'll talk about it the way Sarah talks about her, because I think Sarah says it the very best. But as this scene kind of brings us down to her powers, so let's talk about her powers and what the cauldron gave to her. Now, typically I go in chronological order, but we're going to be skipping around a little bit in this section because I think it flows better to skip around just a tiny bit. So, canon fact, we know that Elaine is a cauldron-blessed seer. In Aquawar 33, it says, You stole from the cauldron, I said to Nesta, who seemed ready to jump between all of us and Elaine. But what if the cauldron gave something to Elaine? Then a little further down, it says, Elaine blinked and blinked, eyes clearing again, as if in understanding, our understanding. It freed her from whatever murky realm she had been in. In Akawar 32, it says, The shadow singer angled his head. Lucian murmured to me, Eyes... <coughs> I... <coughs> I... Still fixed on Elaine. Should we... Does she need... She doesn't need anything, Azrael answered, without so much as looking at Lucian. Elaine was staring at the spymaster now, unblinking. We are the ones who need... Azrael trailed off. A seer he said, more to himself than us. The cauldron made you a seer. <clears throat> I want to point out that whenever Elaine is having a vision, I just want you to keep your eyes out for whenever you do your rereading, whenever you're reading the Akatar books. Take note of when Elaine blinks, because I find that when she's blinking, she's having a vision. In my opinion, this is not 
this is head this is headcanon this is my theory i think that when elaine is like obviously because sarah doesn't write when a character just blinks like because then they would be constantly blink 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 so when elaine says when it says elaine blinked and blinked eyes clear again i think she's having a vision so she's seeing things and you'll you'll notice it a few times maybe not in this yeah i took the executive decision to not put into this episode all of her visions because i think i haven't decided yet i might do a part two and have a whole episode dedicated to all the spooky things that Elaine says, because there's a lot of conversation around what she says about Cassian. There's stuff that she says with Lucian. There are just so many things that she says about the queens and about Koshi that I think deserve their own episode, mostly because I don't want to just have a two-hour episode. I'd rather just do my usual hour-ish, um, because I just feel like two hours of one podcast, that's way too much. Way too much me. Way too much me for you guys. So you'll see, like, when we're talking about her powers, I'm not going to describe her her visions because I want to do them on their own, either next week or some other time. In Akawar 49, it says, Elaine had been told by Amryn she now sat at the table more straight back and clear-eyed than I'd ever seen her. Had she beheld this and whatever wanderings that new inner sight granted her, had the cauldron whispered of it while they were away, I hadn't had the heart to ask her. So, Farrah kind of is under the impression that the cauldron is whispering to her and giving her her visions, and I kind of think that somewhat could be translated because when they remake the cauldron, Elaine tells them, even though we kind of find out it's somewhat of a lie, that she hasn't been having visions. So, because we don't have confirmation that Elaine's been having visions, but we don't have confirmation that she hasn't been having visions, I think when Farrah says that the cauldron had been whispering to her, that that's how Farrah is seeing Elaine's power work. And, and then we can kind of see her power working. In Akawar 33, Elaine cocked her head as if listening to some inner voice. Yes. So it sounds like there's something telling her or giving her these, like, she's, like, I want to think it's, like, more of, like, internal scrying, if that makes any sense. But regardless, there are seers in Throne of Glass. They were killed along with the healers eight years ago when the king took over. And then they also say that seers had once used Bloodsbane as a drug to view spirits from the other world. And then Mort says, if you want an instant answer, you should go find yourself a seer or an oracle. Selena slowed her pacing. You think if I read this to someone with the gift of clairvoyance, they might be able to see some different meaning that I'm missing? So I kind of think that there is a difference between oracles and seers, because she says a seer or an oracle, as if there are a difference. And then also we have that the Crokin witches have their own seers, and their seers had actually seen the fall of magic. And I kind of wanted you to keep that the cro like crokins and seers together because it's under my impression spoiler to a theory that we'll talk about in a second that i think elaine ties very closely to the crokin witches and then we also have seers in crescent city in crescent city it says they were strange a unique group of the witches though they looked like humans their considerable magic and long lives marked them as vanir their power mostly possessed through the female line all of them deemed civitus 
The power was inherited from some ancient source that the witches claimed was the three-faced goddess, but the witches did pop up in non-magical families every now and then. Their gifts were varied, from seers to warriors to potion makers, but healers were the most viable in Crescent City. Their schooling was thorough and long enough that the young witch before him was unusual. She had to be skilled to be already working in a clinic when she couldn't have been over been a day over 30. So this is Rune talking about apaxia. Um, I just looked up the definition of civitus and it kind of, it says a like-minded, like civilization, basically, like one-minded people. So we have that these seers are witches and they are directly linked to the mother, the three-faced goddess, who is the mother. So that's really interesting. And then it says the oracle uh, when Bryce is talking about when the oracle saw her future, it says the oracle, when the seer peered into her future. So oracles and seers are synonymous. So Elaine could also be an oracle. And then I'd like to note that seers are not mentioned literally at all in Hosab, which is spooky. Other powers, um, I think that she has, so this is a little bit theory, this is somewhat headcanon, but there is evidence to back it up, is I think she has better hearing and possible sight than everybody else, than other fae. In Akawar 24, it says, she said, I can hear the sea even at night, even in my dreams, the crashing sea and the screams of a bird made of fire. It was an effort not to glance at Nesta. Even the townhouse was too far to hear anything from the nearby coast. And as for some firebird, there's a garden at my other house, I said. I'd like for you to come tend to it, if you're willing. Elaine only turned towards the sunny windows again. The light danced off her hair. Will I hear the earthworms wiggling through the soil, or the stretching of roots? Will the bird of fire come and sit in the trees and watch me? Hmm. <laughs> and then later it says, when she's with Lucian, she looked away towards the windows. I can hear your heart, she said quietly. He wasn't sure how to respond, so he said nothing and drained his tea, even as it burned his mouth. When I sleep, she murmured, I can hear your heart beating through the stone. She ankled her head as if the city view held some answer. Can you hear mine? He wasn't sure if she truly meant to address him, but he said, No, lady, I cannot. So, I'll give you that this could possibly be vision talk. I mean, because she does mention the firebird, but she does say twice that she can hear things that the others can't. And I genuinely wonder, because in Akawar 70, she says, the sounds of both armies collided. I didn't have words for it. And Elaine covered her ears, cringing, like as if her heightened ears like, literally could not stand the sound. I'd also like to point out that in Akafas 17, Vera says, Elaine moved fast enough that I could barely keep up. And Elaine has no training, so if Elaine's moving fast enough that Vera can't keep up, she's got to be pretty quick. And then I'd like to point out, for things to keep in mind, that Elaine can use the trove, and they say in Akasif, multiple times that she has powers with an S as in multiple powers. So in Akasif 20, um, 
Amran says, you, Amran said quietly, are the same, and so is Elaine. And then in Akasif 21, Amran also says, like calls to like, Amran countered. You are made by the cauldron. You may track other objects made by it as well, as Breland can. And because you are made by it, you are immune to the influences and power of the trove. You might use them, yes, but they cannot be used upon you. A glance to Elaine. Either of you. Elaine swallowed. I can't. But to let Elaine involve herself, jeopardize her safety. Amron said, You tracked the cauldron. It nearly kidnapped me. It trapped me like a bird in a cage. Elaine said, Then I will find it. It might require some time to reacquaint myself with my powers, but I can start today. So, Elaine can use the trove, and she cannot be influenced by the trove, which... <laughs> oh, I just had a thought. Oh, I just had a thought. Did Elaine see what happened when Nesta froze time with the harp? Or is that, is that a plot? Did I find a plot hole? Mm, I'm going to have to think about that. Anyways, in Agassiz 42, it says, this is one of my favorite, this is like my favorite freaking quote, my favorite bit. This, is, this could also be technically foreshadowing, I think as well, but I threw it in here because it's talking about Elaine's powers. But this is my favorite quote in basically all of Agassiz when it comes to the future of Akatar. Nothing is a fluke. The cauldron power flows through Nesta. It could use her as a puppet without her knowledge. It wanted those weapons made, and thus they were made. It wanted Rhysand to have them, and thus the blacksmith brought them to you. To you, Rhysand, not to Nesta. And do not forget that Nesta, herself, and Elaine, with whatever powers she has, is here. Farah is here. All three sisters blessed by fate and gifted with powers... To match your own, Farah alone doubles your strength, and Nesta makes you unstoppable. So basically, she says, Farah and Nesta and Elaine, all the sisters have powers at that time to match Reese. Elaine's power matches the most powerful High Lord in Perithian history. Like, I, I am dumbfounded by this. <sighs> also, Elaine's mind. In Akwar 28, it says, as far, this is, in Akwar 28, when the healer Maja, I believe that's how her name is pronounced, but don't hold me to it, um, talks about her mind, and she says, as for her mind, I cannot enter it. I blinked. She has a shield, she is cauldron maid, the healer said, again looking over Nesta. You are not like the rest of us. I cannot pierce the place it left its mark most deeply. The mind, the soul. She shot me a warning glance, and I would not try it if I were you, lady. But do you think there is something wrong, even if there is no signs? Nesta pushed. I have seen the victims of trauma before. Her symptoms match well with many of those invisible wounds, but she was also made by something I do not understand. So, is there something wrong with her? Maja chewed over her words. I do not like that word, wrong. Different, perhaps. Changed. Oh, I... 
changed. I'm noticing this again. So I did all of this notes. I poured over all of these notes a million times. And now I'm just picking up the fact that she said changed. When Elaine says in one of her visions that she is not dead, simply changed as I was. As if Elaine is different, changed as she was, changed different than the way Farah is, changed different than the way that Nesta is. Elaine is her own category of change. And she just said that. Oh, I didn't pick that up. So her mind can't be open and Farah never does. She once lays an image at the step at the end chamber of Elaine's mind and Elaine allows it. So <laughs> I want to point out, this is something that like drives me, I can't believe more people don't talk about, is that the only two characters we don't have a POV for, we don't have, uh, we've never gotten to be in their quote-unquote heads, is Amran and Elaine. We have all of the POVs for more. We have Rhysand's point of view. We have Pharaoh. We have Nesta. We have Cassian. But we don't have Elaine or Amarins. And I think that is so suspicious. Like, I mean, imagine all of the information we would get from those two point of views. I mean, Elaine with all of her visions of the future and Amarin with all of her knowledge. Like, ugh. I would literally do unspeakable horrible things for those two POVs. Because <laughs> even technically, we have the point of view of Lucian as well, because Fair has gone into his head like twice. So, um, or once, I guess. It was, so, because Fair has been in Lucian's mind once. So we do have his POV technically. So literally it's just Elaine and Amran, And I want to scream from the rooftops. So, we also know in Akasif 1 that um, High Fae have their own powers, have their own subcategory that all High Fae have. There are powers that all the High Fae have. And in Akasif 1, Nesta says, Nesta's own High Fae powers had never materialized. She had only what she had taken from the cauldron rather than letting it design to gift her with power as it had with Elaine. So this would be, for an example, the ability to move things like the books. As Gwen points out in Akasif, she's like, oh, you're like physically shelving the books yourself. And Nesta's like, yeah. And Gwen's like, ooh, that sucks. Rough life for you, bestie. Because, like, everybody else can just, like, like lift the books as on their own. You know? Like, I, is, it, is it technically telekinesis? I think. So, um, Elaine could technically have more powers as a high fae. Because she was supposed to have these powers. She was gifted and blessed by the cauldron. And I don't think the cauldron would ever leave her lacking in any kind of way. But here's a quick little theory on powers is I think that Elaine can winnow. I do have a TikTok on this if you'd rather my more insane face or the whiteboard. But I'll, I'll give it to you now. Um, in Akawar 74, it says, Elaine stepped out of a shadow behind him. This is when she goes to kill the King of Highburn and rammed Truth Teller to the hilt through the back of the King's neck as she snarled in his ear, don't you touch my sister. So in Akawar 71, it it says that Reese moved Elaine to the furthest reaches of our camp. Elaine was literally no, like there is a whole ass battle <laughs> between their camp 
the cauldron and then wherever the frick Nesta and Cassian went off. You you know Nesta didn't go anywhere near where Elaine was to draw the King of Hybern out. So how did Elaine go from the farthest reach, reach of the camp to exactly where she needed to be when she needed to be? Yeah, I know. There's a moment with, I think I'm going to talk about it next week when we talk about Elaine and her visions, but there's this moment with Farah in the cauldron right before that. Elaine comes out. Um, I want to point out that Farah was bargaining with the cauldron. And remember what Elaine's name stands for in the biblical sense? My God has answered. So Farah is bargaining with the cauldron, begging it to like send them help. And then Elaine appears out of thin air and stabs the King of Highburn. Elaine's name is My God Has Answered. The cauldron answered Farah's bargain and gave it Elaine. If that is a coincidence, that's the biggest freaking coincidence of literally ever, literally ever. I, I don't, I can't, like, you can't make that up. If that's serendipity, that's some type of something. I don't even know. But then later in Akafas 15, it says, Elaine was again at my side. I hadn't heard her steps, hadn't heard any sound for moments. So Elaine is very sneaky. She appears out of nowhere. In Akasif 58, it says, you came, Elaine said behind her, and Nesta startled, not having heard her sister approach. She scanned Elaine from head to toe, wondering if she had been taking lessons in stealth, either from Asriel or the two half-wraiths she called friends. So there's multiple times where Elaine just kind of, poop, hi, I'm here. <laughs> like, I kind of think she's winnowing, and I don't think anyone noticed. <laughs> and then I'd also like to bring up this thing that <laughs> I never noticed until I was doing this research. So it just goes to show, like, you could read these books a million times, go over these scenes a hundred times, and you're still going to notice something new. But in Akawar 78, it says, Nesta watched them when I reached her and Elaine at the tree line outskirts. Had she done some healing somehow in those moments after she had severed the king's head, or had it been Cassian's immortal blood and Azriel's battlefield patching that had already healed him enough to manage to stand, even with the wing and leg? I didn't ask my sister, and she supplied no answer as she took the water bucket dangling from Elaine's still bloody hands, and I followed them through the trees. I want to point out that Elaine stabs the king of highburn steps back nesta takes over and elaine immediately goes to cassian and she's holding she's over cassian holding on to cassian and taking care of him so i'm wondering we did all of those we did that whole episode on anthral and silba and elaine glows she's like a summer dawn the tower of dawn i think that she could be an owl shifter as we'll talk about in a second can elaine heal we know that some high fae more reese lucian tamlin have the ability to heal a little bit can elaine heal 
so that's all we have on our powers like i said i think we'll i think for sure maybe next week we'll do all of her visions and kind of have fun theory day on those but let's move on to other things i want to note about elaine before we go into the foreshadowing and theories the last bit of canon I'd like to point out throughout the whole series, just just things I want to like point out and clear up. These are things that are used to argue against Elaine's character, and this is my soapbox, and I get to talk about whatever I want on my podcast, and I just want to clear these up, but Farah is the one who bought the damn flower seeds for Elaine in the beginning of Akatar. Elaine did not buy them. It wasn't like she was like, oh, screw my family. I'm not going to buy vegetable seeds. Farah bought them as a gift for Elaine, and then Elaine took whatever money that Farah had given her and bought Farah paints. Uh, I think there could be something to be said about Elaine giving Farah the paints that Farah uses to foreshadow them, their drawers. But, you know, that's extreme deep theory mode. Elaine dreams of traveling the world. It's said so many times that Elaine wants to see the continent. She wants to go travel the, the world and see their flowers. She wanted Farrah to go with her. So Elaine's big dream, she has these, she does, she has more dreams than Nesta does. She's got things she wants to do. She's very bold in her wants. And I love that. Love that. I'd like to point out that she's still wearing her ring at the end of Akawar, and Farah says to herself, let Lucian deal with it, which makes me want to, like, stab the page with my pen. But we never see the ring again in Akafas or in Akasif, and I feel like uh, that's so suspicious because everybody makes it a point to talk about her ring, and then we never get a moment of, oh, Elaine's not wearing her engagement ring anymore. And I want to know, like, did she ever take it off? And when did she take it off? I'd like to point out that Elaine and Moore actually have a very close relationship, kind of very subtly in the background. If you notice them in moments, they're sitting very, they're nestled close together. Uh, Moore's always trying to give, get Elaine drinks for her. Like they're very close and they're very kind to each other. And I, I actually really love that. And I think it's really, really sweet. And I really hope that Either Elaine is, like, a bi queen or Elaine is the biggest ally for the LGBT community that there ever was. <laughs> In Akawar 69, there is a small note about how Highburn had trampled her gardens, and I feel like that's just some type of literary something. Like, just a little bit of, like, I don't know what it's, like, called, but there's just, like, this, oh, imagery. Literary imagery of Highburn trampling Elaine's gardens and, like, Highburn giving her all of her trauma. And it's just, like, such a minute thing that Sarah dumped in there that, like, cracked my heart in two. Later, or throughout the books, we see that Amryn uh, is not soft, but close to Elaine. We see in War that Amryn holds Elaine as Elaine is throwing up from stress and from being nervous and Amryn's the one tending to her. We also see that Amryn is the one who sees Elaine for truly who she is and I want to see that relationship really build. I think that would be amazing. I'd also like to point that Elaine and Lucian are only alone twice that's noted and we never get to hear the conversation that they have when they're alone. I'd also like to point that Mm. I want to point out that Asriel's shadows don't always disappear around Elaine, but they aren't prone to linger. 
and everyone likes to use this and this is for ship they use it for ship talk but i think it i think no matter what elaine's book is going to have asriel in it and as of throughout the books i think that asriel and elaine have a really really nice friendship and i kind of want to see that and i like to see that asriel shadows are there and aren't there like they are they're not only always with elaine so they're not like vigilant but they're not always gone to the point where it's suspicious that they're always gone but they're kind of like this in-between thing that asriel shadows aren't prone to linger they don't always disappear I'd like to point out that Elaine's mother really was shitty. I mean, the Artron sister's mother was really shitty, but she instilled this version that Nesta kind of continues to see her by, that Elaine is just this dumb doll, basically. Like, you just dress her up like a little doll, and then she's just, like, willy-nilly, wishy-washy, dumb Elaine. And I think that's how Nesta... Like, that's where the image of Elaine that Nesta has comes from, and I think it's so bizarre that that's what Nesta held on to about their mother. You know, out of everything that Nesta says about their mother, it's like she kind of always noted that it was like messed up, except for the way that her mother talked about Elaine. That's the one thing that Nesta kept. So let's move on to the foreshadowing because this is this is fun. This is this is where where is the where do I think the future of Elaine is going to kind of go, and this is going to feed into our theories that's coming up next. Farah paints an Akator two. She paints the nice guy for her, the flames for Nesta, and then she paints for Elaine, violets and roses. So I want you to hold on to this rose. Violets, I'm not so sure about, but roses for sure, important. And then we get in Akatar 29 for foreshadowing the prison and hope speech that she gave about the cottage and what others saw as a prison she saw as something with something good and with hope and SJM in the live that she did mimicked this statement about the prison and hope with Elaine. So I think there's something to be said about three sisters, three mountains, them each climbing their mountain, and then the prison and the dust court and the thread of hope in the tapestry of the mountain that Elaine kind of pushes towards in that scene in Akabas. And then there's also this other moment of Elaine in a prison where Farrah says, Elaine, the would-be mistress of this prison, when they're talking about the, the Grayson's family house thing. So there's a lot of imagery around Elaine, hope, and prisons. So if there, it's true that each sister is going to like conquer a peak, it makes sense that Elaine's would be the prison because there's so much foreshadowing around Elaine and prisons. The next bit of foreshadowing I want to talk about now is in Akasif 55, where Nesta says she plucked another figurine from the mantle, a rose carved from a dark sort of wood. Iron wood, maybe. She held it with her palm, its solid weight surprising, and she traced a finger over the petals. He made this one for Elaine, since it was winter and she missed the flowers. So there's a carving of a rose in some dark sort of wood, probably ironwood, that was made for Elaine. And then in Akasif 56, we learn what Nesta does with this figurine. Her gaze shifted to the carved wooden rose she had placed upon the mantle, half hidden in shadows beside a figurine of a supple-bodied female, her upraised arms clasping a full moon between them, some sort of primal goddess, perhaps even the mother herself. 
Nesta hadn't let herself dwell on why she had felt the need to set the rose there, why she hadn't just thrown it in a drawer. So I think this is incredible freaking foreshadowing to move us into theory. So I've said throughout this podcast forever that I think roses are an association of the mother. We see that when Farah is thanking the mother for her, for Nyx when she's pregnant, when she's pregnant, she has this faint smell of roses. We see that in Tog when Selena is coming out of her first vision of Elena and Elena said that they were drawn there by someone else that that Selena smells roses and it's the dead of freaking winter. There were no roses around. So I kind of think it was the mother kind of pulling things along. So we have this, this is, this is theory. This has not been confirmed in any kind of way, but when I see roses, I immediately think mother. And for the father to have made a rose for Elaine, Elaine to have already been likened to a rose blooming, and then this rose being placed next to the mother for what she, Nessa's like, I don't know why she did it. I'm like, I do because it's foreshadowing. Duh. I think this ties really great into a theory that I have, and that is Elaine becoming a vessel for the mother, a vessel the way that we see Bryce's mother and stepfather were vessels. And like, this is a whole thing I want to talk like about maybe I want to do like a whole episode on gods and like everything with the gods and maybe like a whole episode even with just the mother and all the information we have on her because this is kind of the stuff that I love but I think this is like really excellent foreshadowing that Elaine and the mother the mother goddess and creation are going to be tied really closely together I don't think it's it's not a coincidence that the object the mother used to create is obsessed with Elaine. It purrs for her. It's contented with her. It loved her. It gifted her. It's constantly reaching for her. And I just think it's for a reason. And I think that's the reason is because Elaine and the mother are going to be either working together. Elaine will be the mother or the vessel for the mother in some way. There's another piece of foreshadowing that Cassian says in Akafsif 57, I'll just paraphrase, that Elaine doesn't look good in black. She It sucks the life out of her. And I kind of think it's foreshadowing that Elaine will not be staying in the night court. I don't think that's a secret. I don't know where she'll end up going. Um, I think that's going to depend very heavily on how her book goes. But we'll see. We'll see where she ends up. I, I am all for, like, girl boss Elaine needs no man, takes up a deity hood, and, like, goes travels, like, multiverse travels for fun that's kind of how I view Elaine in my opinion of her just like <laughs> rising above all the shipness and like becoming her own entity of awesomeness but the last bit of foreshadowing I want to point out is again in the Akasif Barnes and Noble's edition a bonus chapter of Face and and they say this but I also think we haven't seen all she has to offer Elaine the corner of his mouth tugged upwards. Don't forget that gardening often results in something pretty, but involves getting one's hands dirty along the way. And torn up by thorns, I mused, recalling the morning this past summer when Elaine had come into the house, her right palm bleeding from several gashes thanks to the stubborn rose bush that had 
pierced her gloves. The thorns had broken off in her skin, leaving sharp splinters that I had to pull free. I didn't dare mention that if she had been wearing the enchanted gloves Lucian had given her last solstice, nothing would have pierced them at all. Lots of foreshadowing. Lots of foreshadowing there. Just that that gardening requires getting one's hands dirty and the rose bushes like it's just like like her story is gonna is gonna I think Elaine's story is gonna be one of the most moving and one of the most beautiful stories but I think that's because it's gonna be one of the most emotional stories and then at the end there will be something very beautiful to step back and look from and the last like the actual last bit of foreshadowing is in a bonus interview in my copy of Akafas, it's a paperback version of the original covers. I, I paid like $17 for it. I didn't know it had this bonus interview, but it's literally my favorite bit of bonus content I've ever come across. And in this interview, Sarah says this. No, I love that. That's how ideas begin. We bought our current house last winter. We didn't really know what the garden would be like. But when spring came, I was heavily pregnant and I was really nesting. And we realized that the garden beds were pretty overgrown with ivy and there was literally ivy everywhere in the garden beds, wrapped around trees, crawling up the sides of the house. So I went into this obsessive, I need to rip out every last strand of ivy before I have this baby mode. And I remember the entire time I was ripping out the ivy and trying to get some semblance of order into the garden beds, I had just slipped into Elaine's head. Elaine is a gardener, and everything I did during those weeks became research for her book. I'm not even joking. Elaine is now going to have dreams about ripping Ivy out and the Ivy creeping in through the windows to strangle her at night. Because let me tell you, that Ivy does not want to let go. Anytime I use, like, really big inflection, it's because it's, like, it's italicized and I can't really, like, that I'm just reading it dramatic style so you'll get the point like the ivy does not want to let go so that's Sarah's own bonus foreshadowing and then I want to point out the things that Sarah has said about Elaine and because I think it ties really well to the conversation that Elaine the Elaine evil theory which I think is a really cool theory. And if Elaine does end up being evil, I, I'll stand her. I, you know, what's the, what's the quote? I don't support murder, but I, I don't support the glorification of murder, but I do support women. Like, that's how I feel about Elaine. But this is what Sarah said on Elaine. And she said to me, she said to be modeled after her real life best friend, that if Sarah was dumped into the Akatar world, Elaine would be her best friend if she was in the books. She calls Elaine the quiet dreamer, thinks that Elaine has different strengths and considers it the better of them. So she has different strengths than the sisters, like literal, like Farah and her powers, Nesta and her physical, like brute and her perseverance, that Elaine's strength of hope is stronger than hate. This is a direct quote. Hope is stronger than hate. And she thinks that is the better of the sister's strength. And we see that mirrored in her, in the books, like Farrah literally says that verbatim. And that's something that Sarah clings to when, in regards to Elaine. So that really isn't, none of that, that Sarah says on Elaine really points me to the direction of her somewhat being evil, but she could just be playing us and like throwing like a huge, awesome arc, which I would love to see. I'd love to see villain Elaine. 
So when I'm tabbing, I have a tab, it's my yellow tabs, and these are theories, these are questions that aren't answered, or things that I think on, like, things that, like, stand out to me, and I'm like, ooh, what is that? And so I have this as its own category in the character deep dive, and so I want to point out these few questions that I, that are raised about Elaine. In Aquar 33, Elaine now watched Lucian warily, blinking every now and then. She revealed no hint of whatever she might be seeing or sensing. None. So, like I said earlier, when she's blinking, I think that means she's having a vision. So, I kind of wonder what Elaine sees in Lucian's future. That, I think, ends up molding the way she acts around him. Um, Elaine is very wary. She's very uncomfortable around Lucian. And I don't really think it's like she thinks that Lucian is bad but I think that I almost wonder if she's maybe protecting herself in a way if she sees Lucian either ending up with someone else or her and Lucian going through some major trials that she is not ready to deal with so she's kind of keeping him at arm's length and I so I think that maybe she's doing this somewhat somewhat in protection of herself that she doesn't want to get hurt again because she was already hurt by Grayson. So that's all I'll say on Lucian and Elaine is that Elaine is very uncomfortable around him. She doesn't like being in his vicinity and I almost wonder if it's because she has seen something and she's protecting herself at this moment. That's not to say that she won't decide to do something different later on. In Aquar 29, when they're on their way to see Grayson to ask them to help protect the humans, it says, I need you to understand, Elaine, that if this goes badly, if he tries to harm you or any of us, I know you will defend your own. I will defend you. The vacancy fogged over her eyes, but Elaine lifted her chin. No matter what, don't kill him, please. We'll try. Swear it. I never heard that tone from her, ever. I can't make that promise. I wouldn't back down, not on this but I will do everything in my power to avoid it. So there's this moment in their conversation, the vacancy fogged over her eyes. I think she was having a vision. And if they harmed Grayson, they wouldn't have helped protect the humans. They wouldn't have had a place for them to put the humans. So I think that Elaine is, yes, protecting Grayson from her siblings, but I also think that Elaine is seeing something in the future. So I'm, I'm assuming that in the SGM universe, the future isn't set. So Elaine is probably seeing lots of different variations of the future, and she kind of has to use that as a guide. And I'm wondering if she saw a version of the future where they didn't, where Grayson acted out and they went to harm him and the humans decided not, or Grayson's family decided not to help protect them. So that's kind of what I was questioning here is did Elaine see a vision and was it a vision of something going wrong and them not having a place to protect humans and the humans getting hurt by Hybern. In Aqua 51, Elaine is walking through the war camp and she makes a point to not look at anyone. She keeps her eyes down. It's mo motioned a few times that she's like keeps her eyes to the ground and on people's boots and I'm wondering if she's not looking because it will trigger visions for her because she's already looked at the inner circle and the people that she's around so she probably has seen all of their variation of the futures but what about new people and I just kind of want to point that out because she doesn't have a grip on her powers yet and I just want to point out that she wasn't looking at people and I wonder if that's because 
she didn't want to see their future of them dying, like, over and over again. In Akafast 12, it says, Elaine asked, this is, so in Akafast 12, when they're having dinner, Elaine and Amran get into this conversation, and Elaine says, Elaine asked, once you were in this body, you couldn't change. Amran's eyes narrowed slightly. I straightened a glance between them. Unusual, yes, for Elaine to have been so vocal, but she had been improving. Most days, she was lucid, perhaps quiet and prone to melancholy, but aware. Elaine, to my surprise, held Amran's gaze. Amran said after a moment, are you asking out of curiosity for my past or your own future? The question left me too stunned to even reprimand Amran. The others, too. Elaine's brows furrowed before I could leap in. What do you mean? There's no going back to being human, girl, Amran said, perhaps a tad gently. Amran, I warned. Elaine's face reddened further, her back straightening, but she didn't bolt. I don't know what you're talking about. I had never heard Elaine's voice so cold. So I just want to point out that, like, there's this weird conversation that Elaine and Amran have about changing, and I genuinely wonder if it's because I think Elaine is a shifter, and she's she doesn't know any other shifters, none of the other, aside from Rhysand's high lord form, no one else changes. I mean, I guess Farah and her shape-shifting, but it's not shifting in the sense that the Tog face shift, like, there's a difference. And I kind of wonder if Elaine is, like, knows this about herself or feels something different inside of her, and she's, like, trying to seek comfort in Amran or answers in Amran. Or it could be kind of pointing to Elaine maybe trying to go back to being human, like something like that. But again, if there's not, there's no answer. I just find this scene incredibly bewildering. Like it's so out of character. And Farrah says herself that it's so out of character for Elaine to do this. And then, I mean, we did a whole episode dedicated to A Court of Silver Flames 15, but as a rundown, this whole chapter is so suspicious, but Elaine pushes Farah out to go shopping, prods her all day long to where Farah ends up going to a weaver shop where the weaver and Elaine get into a conversation that Farah is somewhat a part of. Elaine is really pushing this conversation out of character, as we just learned, for Elaine to be so talkative. But the conversation is about void and hope, and it ends up leading to Farah deciding she wants to have a child. So Elaine was like prodding Farah all along, leading her to this conclusion. And if you want to know more about that and you haven't heard that episode, there's a whole episode dedicated to it because that entire chapter is incredibly suspicious to me. Again, in Akafast 15, which I don't think I brought up in that episode, but there's a... After... Elaine and Farah depart, and Farah goes to Amran's apartment, and Amran and Farah have a conversation, and it says, I clench my jaw. She, Nesta, refuses to come home for solstice. Elaine will be heartbroken if she doesn't. Elaine or you? Those silver eyes pin me to the spot. Both, I said through my teeth. Again, Amran sifted through her pieces. Elaine has her own problems to focus on. Such as, Amran just gave me a look. I ignored it. This a uh, look is capitalized, and uh, there's another time that happens in Empire Storms where Rowan gives a lead a look with a capital L. So, stands out. And then Amran says, Elaine has her own problems to focus on. 
such as and elaine and amran just like ignores her or refuses to tell and it drives me nuts because amran isn't like a she doesn't give two shits about who's sleeping with who who likes who amran's like like does not care about petty things so for her to say that elaine has issues that she needs to work through i'm like what what and it brings me back to Elaine shifting. Like, I think Amron might know something, can smell it on her, has seen it in the past. Again, brings me back to, um, like, Anthral and Soba and all that stuff. Like, there's something there that Elaine, uh, that Amron knows about Elaine that the others and us don't know. In Akasif, there's quite, there's a few moments of suspicion for me or things that bring up questions for me. And one of them is in Akasif 17, Nesta says, the last time she had seen Elaine, a week before she had come to the house, she had passed her sister in the bustling market square. They called the Palace of Bone and Salt. And though Elaine had halted, no doubt intending to speak to her, Nesta had kept walking, hadn't looked back before vanishing into the throng. The Palace of Bone and Salt. And I think that a lot of people like to argue, um, or like to just, like, get a little, like, weird about, because this is so suspicious to me, because the Palace of Bone and Salt is only mentioned one other time, and it's when Farah is, like, first getting her tour of Valaris. The other times that they're in their shopping, going through the market, they go to the other market, but this place is called the Palace of Bone and Salt, and literally, bone scrying like that kind of stuff and salt summoning salts are you kidding me because later in akasif 21 cassian says this elaine had already departed with farah claiming she had to be up with the dawn to tend to an elderly fairy's garden cassian didn't exactly know why he suspected that wasn't true but there had been some tightness in elaine's face as she had said it Normally, when she had made such excuses, Lucian was around, but that male had remained in the human lands with Jurian and Vasa. So, in Akasif, Elaine is out doing shady shit. <laughs> Not really shady, but she's doing something that she doesn't want other people to know about. And what do we know about seers and how uh, seers are able to commune with uh, spirits of other worlds? We know that Adis has been lurking around in Valaris. We know that there was a shadow watching more. Like, I'm, like, really seriously wondering what Elaine is up to and knows already about about everything. Like, there's just something there. And then in Akasif 29, again, this is just, like, me pointing out that, like, Amran really sees Elaine. She really sees Elaine. And she says, Amran drained her wine and said to Cassia, Nesta has a week one more week to find the trove with her own methods. Then we seek out other routes. She threw a nod towards Azriel, including Elaine, who is more than capable of defending herself against the darkness of the trove, if she chooses to. Don't underestimate her. That wording, the darkness of the trove. Darkness can be fought with what? Light. <laughs> and then the very last thing that stood out to me, is an Akasif 57. Nesta barely glanced at Iris, who pulled his assessing gaze from Elaine to stare at the eldest Archeron sister. This is right when Iris gets the maid dagger, and his eyes aren't on the dagger, they're on Elaine. 
And I've pointed this out on my TikTok, but I really think that Iris could be a bloodhound. And I know there's a theory going around right now that Farrah could be a bloodhound, but there's a lot of evidence to suggest that Iris is. And Iris knows a lot of, like, spooky shit, you know what I mean? Like, he's, he's, he's knowing things. He's got stuff on the docket. And the fact that he is assessing Elaine, what does he know? I'm wondering if he does know that Elaine and Lucian are mates. That could be it, but I'm wondering if there's more to it. So here are my theories on Elaine. Let's, let's close out. This has been a lot. This has been a lot, and I hope this was interesting. I hope this is making your brain work. I always wondered that I'm boring you. Um, I think that's just my own insecurities that I'm working through. But here are the theories on Elaine. That she is a vessel for the mother or for chaos. Chaos is the bride of void that we learned the princes of hell originally come from. I think she can winnow. A shifter, an owl, or a doe. I think she could be tied to the Tree of Life, Jurgensdale from Norse Myth. We're getting a lot of Norse Myth with Realms, Midgard, Vanir, all that stuff. So I think that she'll be tied to Jurgensdale or Frigga's staff. Because I kind of think she's going to end up getting her own own weapon, but she's not really a blade sort of person. So I'm wondering if she's going to get some kind of staff or something like that. And there's something to be said about Frigga and Elaine. Frigga is the mother goddess or like the mother of all in Norse myth. There's something there. Some people think that in Akawar 65 in Highburn's camp that Elaine was the one who sent the wind that ended up helping Farah fly. I kind of see it as Tamlin still, but I can see why people think it might have been Elaine. This is a cool one. So this is going to tie like Vasa and Elaine because I for sure that Vasa, Elaine, Lucian, Azriel, they're all going to kind of deal with each other in Elaine's book because they're all circling each other currently in the background. But I, this is something that someone else brought up to me and this is something I kind of talked, so she brought up this piece, but it ties into a theory that I've had. So Koshi will need Elaine or one of the Archeron sisters' blood to break his curse on his curse that he, of his lake. And this kind of makes sense because I've been saying that I think the Bonecarver's Salvation, the female Fae warrior, was from the Archeron's line. And that's why he ended up helping Farah. This also ties to what we were talking about with Anthril and how he was able to curse people or curse monsters to stay places. He was a heroic figure during the first wars. And that kind of ties back to Anthril, Owl Shifter, Silba, Bright Shining, Healers, Witches, Elaine, like all of it kind of like circles each other. Like they're all so like, they're all slightly tied together. And I kind of think this is a really great way for it all to like solidify is if Elaine is going to be the need, like either need to learn how to break bonds or bargains because we see that bargains can be broken. I just like, there's something there. Uh, the next theory I have is Elaine could make her own trove. We know that Nesta made her own trove. Could Elaine make hers? Elaine being a witch, a croaking witch probably. Elaine and the maid item that's in Krita, that was a resurrection item that was able to bring Miriam back. Is that what Elaine is going to end up using? Could Elaine be possessed in Akamath 57 with the um, Book of Breathings? It says, hello, fanged beast and trembling fawn. So I think the Book of Breathings was talking to the sisters and I think that was directly spoken to Elaine. Also her dark ring and the parallels between Duva, the princess in Tower of Dawn who was possessed, and Elaine. 
there's more to that theory, but that's the barest of it. And then I think there's another theory, Hosab spoilers, very quickly, that Elaine helped summon Bryce to Midgard. And then I also think that there could be something to be said about goddess Elaine. So those are all my theories on Elaine in rapid fire. There's probably going to be more down the line, but that's what I have right now. So that is literally everything condensed. Obviously not everything, because this is already going to be probably top five longest episodes, but condensed information on Elaine. Everything aside from her ship, aside from ships and mates and all that stuff, that you could possibly need to know about her looks, her likeness, foreshadowing, the way Sarah talks about her, the way that other characters talk about her, the way that I view her, her future, and the things that I think she could tie to. This was so much fun. It was a lot of work, but it was so eye-opening. There's so many things that I had never even noticed until I was doing this because, you know, when you're reading, you're only, you're looking at it, you know, plot point or for a certain point of view or for crossover stuff or, you know, that kind of thing that we, we do throughout the podcast, but really focusing on just one character, how one character is moving, acting, seeing, being talked about, and solely focusing on that is so eye-opening that I almost feel like you could do an entire read of these books and only focus on one character or on one subject and you'd see the whole books from like a completely different light or a completely different view. And I know that Elaine is not everyone's favorite and that's okay. She's my favorite. I'll stand in her corner every, every day and I tried to keep that bias out of here but I will talk about her with a joy. Oh, this is so long. Uh, I really am, I'm, I'm going to spare you all from a long outro. So I think next week we will, we will talk about her visions. If not her visions, then something else very special, but we'll see how timing works on that. And that's all I got for you. Thank you so much for listening. I cannot wait to see you next week. I hope you guys have a wonderful holiday, whatever you celebrate, or if you don't celebrate. I'm a half-not celebrator because I don't like holidays. I'm, I'm a Scrooge. I'll probably just end up reading the entire day. But I hope you have a good holiday. I hope you find some joy in it. If the holidays make you sad, know you are in good company here on this podcast because I am also a Grumposaurus on the holidays. So if that's hard for you, you can be commiserated with company. If that's not for you, I love that for you. I hope you have a wonderful, wonderful holiday and spend time with your loved ones or whatever you do for your holidays. And I will see you next week. Oh, the Patreon is live as of today, or it will be the day that this comes out. So the Patreon will be live. If that interests you, you can head on to my Instagram or my TikTok to my link tree. It should be right there. Also, if you go to my Spotify playlist, I did put together an entire playlist dedicated to Elaine and the way that I see Elaine and songs that I relate to her. So if that's something that you're interested in, there's that. It has a cute little cover photo and everything. So that's, that's, that, that is a whole complete character deep dive of me trying to find songs that relate to her. I do that with most characters. So like there's a Cassian and Nesta one with songs for Cassian and Nesta or Nesta. I have like a one for Aelin. I have one for Faysand. I have one, my Tamlin and Farah playlist is chef's kiss. That's the best playlist that I put together, which is weird. It says probably something about me and my music taste than literally anything else. But yeah, so there's your little bonus content and more from me if you want more from me. But if not, totally respect that. I'm a lot sometimes. So anyways, thank you. Happy holidays from your 
favorite happy hermit, Professor Lily.